Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A dram of whiskey is one of life's little pleasures. But have you ever wondered how many units of alcohol are actually in your glass? Well, one measure of scotch contains one unit of alcohol. Holyrood Sources is proud to be brought to you by the Scotch Whiskey Association's Made to Be Measured campaign to help us all understand how much alcohol we're really drinking. Find out more at scotch-whiskey.org.uk forward slash made to be measured. The podcast starts now. I'm very keen to take an intervention from the First Minister at any point, but particularly now, because he made a very clear commitment that this Scottish Government, his Scottish Government, will fully duel the A9 from Perth to Inverness. So I say to the First Minister, when? Yep. Yep. No, nothing. 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 Well, I'll give way. Come on. Come on. I mean, this is a serious issue. And welcome to Hollywood Sources. We're recording on Tuesday, the 5th of September. I'm Callum MacDonald. And also here, Andy McKeever, former Director of Communications for the Scottish Conservatives. Hello, Andy. Hello, good afternoon. Hi, thanks for being here. Right, uh, just a quick note. Uh, Jeff is unable to join us today. Uh, he has got little baby Lucas in hospital for what is a routine operation. Uh, but such is the way of these things. There's been spectacular delays, lots of hanging around, and family comes first. So, Jeff and family, uh, thoughts with you, thinking of you, and Jeff will be back next week to tell us all about, well, what sounds like perhaps quite a typical NHS experience in many ways, but that doesn't make it any less stressful or annoying. Uh, so, Jeff is away this week. However, in a few moments, we'll be joined by Rachel Amory from The Scotsman, Louise Wilson from Holyrood Magazine, and Lucy Dunn from The Spectator, because today is programme for government in fact, at the time of recording, Hamza Yusuf has literally just finished giving his programme for government. Just by way of context, Andy, what, what is the point in a programme for government? What is today all about? 
Um, the point, oh, before I start that, I should just say that I did tell Jeff that becoming a parent basically gives you a <laughs> lifetime of absolutely nothing but unadulterated worry, which just never goes away, irrespective of how old they get. Um, the Programme for Government, for those who are uh, maybe more used or more versed to a Westminster system, the Programme for Government is the Queen's speech, or should I say the King's speech, in fact. That is what the Programme for Government is. It is the annual statement by the First Minister, which outlines what his government is planning to do over the next year. It always takes place, it actually used to be the second week, but it now always takes place in the first week back after the summer holidays, which is right now. Um, and it sets the tone for what they're going to do throughout the year. It doesn't mean it's always necessarily uh, stuck to every dot and comma, much like the, the King's speech is not always stuck to. But it gives uh, us, the twitchers and the watchers and people like us, an idea of what they're going to be getting up to over the next year or so and gives the opposition a bit of an idea of what they're going to be getting up to as well. Yeah, okay. So with that in mind, this is the first programme for government for Hamza Youssef as First Minister. And I think that's just worth noting by way of where he has come from over the last few months, the encouragement that he has had on this podcast and from others to really take some measures to define himself and to set out exactly what this government is going to be all about. Um, I mean, just by way of overview, Andy, from what we've heard, and we'll get into the detail in a minute, has, has he done that? Mm. Um, I don't think that those who felt he lacked that vision and those who've been clamouring for him to provide it, I'm mm. not convinced they'll feel that he has. Um, there was nothing objectionable about today's speech in, the, in terms of the content or delivery, but I'm not convinced that those who have been sceptical, both inside and outside the SNP, will sit back tonight and say, everything is now okay. You know, now I get it. I think I'm, I'm reminded of one thing that uh, our, our buddy Jeff said during the Hamza podcast a couple of weeks ago, where he said, you know, you're trying to please both sides. And when you try and please everybody, you don't please anybody. And I do feel like today's speech was littered with trying to please both sides. Um, you know, the very start of it said, I am unashamedly anti-poverty and unashamedly pro-growth. Um, obviously laudable, but, you know, who's not? Other than, other than the Greens, who's not pro-growth? And, and who's not, out of everybody, who's not anti-poverty? You know, mm. where are the pro-poverty people? So, you know, I, I, I do think it perhaps lacked the, um, the sort of some of the fundamental choices that he really has to make. I mean, that anybody who is a capitalist, anybody who believes in economic growth, believes in it because you can't reduce poverty without a growing economy. You can't fund the NHS and the schools and the lampposts and the potholes behind me without a growing economy. You can't do it. So, you know, those two things go hand in hand anyway. And I think for those who have become concerned about the direction of travel on the economy, I'm a little bit unconvinced that they will be pacified by this. It's quite interesting, quite early on as well, he was talking about the relationship with the Green Party and really talking that up, actually, saying, you know, this has been a... I'm paraphrasing, but saying it's been a successful partnership um, and actually encouraging other parties from across Holyrood to work with the Scottish Government on various issues. So he says, uh, this SNP and the Greens have worked effectively in government. The government I lead will not simply coalesce around the lowest common denominator. Where we need to, we will pick a side. 
side. And he did point to kind of environmental policies on that as well. It's interesting that he encouraged collaboration, I suppose, a more collegiate approach, because actually that's become quite a theme of this podcast over the last few months is that that doesn't exist right now. Uh, no, it doesn't. But, you know, the harsh reality of where we are with our politics is that that isn't going to exist for a wee while yet. Um, we are still too mired in the constitutional debate in this country for that collegiate approach to take place. There will be no collegiate approach between unionists and nationalists until at least the election of 2026 to Holyrood. That's just, I'm afraid, the political reality of it, uh, and that's the way it is. I think the interesting thing about what Hamza said about the Greens is that, <clears throat> you know, that this is not his coalition. This is Nicola Sturgeon's coalition. Mm. Um, he's inherited it. Uh, and he's inherited a lot of what came along with it. Um, it's not, you know, what's happened is not his fault, but he owns it now and he has to decide what to do with it. And I think that is why today's speech, um, the next year, the next election is so incredibly interesting. Um, I spoke to a group of charities this morning and I was asked to sort of sum up devolution. And actually it's, kind of two sets of 12 years. It's 12 years before independence became an issue and 12 years since independence became an issue. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think we are at a new transition phase now where we've become suddenly much more focused on outputs and much more of the understanding that um, saying you're going to do things and ticking a box when you create a consultation or pass a piece of legislation is just no longer enough. People are looking for results and outcomes in a way that they maybe haven't done um, over the last few years. Mm. Uh, really, really interesting. Uh, as we go on then into the detail of the programme for government today, you of course can email your own thoughts. Has it gone far enough? Has it ticked the right boxes? Has it covered the right policies as far as you're concerned? Email us, hello at hollywoodsources.com and then as usual, we'll follow up, we'll, we'll reply, we'll answer and read out your emails on the following week's episode. This is Hollywood Sources. We are doing a programme for government post-match analysis. Thanks for being with us. Right, let's welcome to the podcast Rachel Amory, political correspondent at The Scotsman. Hello, Rachel. Hello there. And also here with us, Louise Wilson, political editor at Hollywood magazine. Hello, Louise. Hello. Hello, both joining us from the Scottish Parliament. Uh, let's speak, first of all, then, to Rachel. Rachel, just a, an overview of Hamza Youssef's programme for government then. Um, what are the main takeaways for you? And, and was it bold? Was it big? Do we know lots more about First Minister Youssef than we did an hour ago? Um, do we know more about him? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that is the case. Um, I think overall he tried to very much focus on poverty, particularly when it comes to children. So we heard announcements about um, expanding free childcare, for example, um, expanding um, free lunches for primary school children as well, support for pregnant mothers. Um, so very much focusing on the tackling poverty element of things here. Um, it was also quite a personal speech, I felt. He started off by talking about the experience of his grandfather and particularly how difficult he found it and support that he received when he came over to Scotland from Pakistan. And towards the end of his speech, he also spoke about his personal experiences of um, miscarriage as well. So there's a lot of personal elements and personal touches to this statement. Um, but is there anything new? I'm not entirely sure. A lot of it was very heavily trailed in the media beforehand. And um, as a few of the opposition parties did say, is it any different from what we saw from previous governments of the SNP? Unsure on that one as well. But I think um, we now need to see um, how quickly some of these policies get brought in 
some of the things that he was promising are going to be happening quite quickly in the next sort of few months. So it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. Louise, come in on the sort of the big headline grabbers then and, and pick up on Rachel's points there. Are there are there lots of new things to shout about, be proud of and, and analyse here? Um, not a huge amount of new things, I would say. As, as Rachel said, a lot of it is just a continuation of what we've seen in Sturgeon era governments. So things like tackling, tackling child poverty, um, going through early um, improving early years learning and childcare, those sort of things are all stuff that we've seen from the SNP government before. Um, obviously, a bit of a new sheen on them just because it's a new first minister. Um, yeah, it, I suppose it's interesting that they're going to trial um, sort of an increase in childcare from nine months to the end of primary school. I suppose that's that's a bit different. Um, but yeah, in, in large part, it's largely largely all stuff that we've had before. And in fact, some of the bills that he's announced have actually already been announced. So the housing bill, for example, that uh, featured in last year's programme for government. Um, so we've known that was coming. The education bill, again, we've known that's been coming for a, for a while. Um, so so nothing, nothing sort of, no rabbits out of the hat, as it were. Yeah, gosh, that's, it's really interesting to consider that because this is the exact time to do that, to do the rabbits out of the hat, to catch people by surprise and to set a real direction of travel. Rachel, why is it that that hasn't happened today? Well, I would have thought um, it would be good to sort of try and move away from previous um, governments, particularly given the fact that the first few months of his first minister, he's been up against it, fighting fires, internal party wars and whatnot. So um, you would like to see him coming up with some policies that can quickly be brought in, quickly make some change, quickly bring money into people's pockets. Um, I think there are a few bits and pieces here, but yeah, there's a lot of other policies which have been rumbling on for a long time and haven't um, really come to fruition yet. Um, one that I'm thinking of particularly is the dueling of the A9, for example, mm. and that's um, between Perth and Inverness. And it was brought up today in the programme for government. Um, I should say a personal interest here as I live on the A9. Um, but again, it's something that's been going on for a long, long, long time. We still don't have a date as to when it will actually be finished. And Douglas Ross, the leader of the Conservatives, he did say, you know, where, where is this finished date? Have you got an actual time frame here? And Humza Yusuf wasn't actually able to put a time frame on that there. If we remember um, back to the podcast we did with Hamza um, a couple of weeks ago, he, we talked about the A9 on that podcast because one of uh, our audience members, if you remember, told us yeah, a really Philip. harrowing personal story about his experience on the A9. Um, and, and, you know, Hamza, I can't remember exactly the words, we need to go back and check, but I think Hamza said, you know, we'll be talking about the A9 in the, in the programme for government, watch this space type stuff. You know, does somebody who hears watch this space and perhaps expect something relatively significant, expect him just to say, we'll duel the A9 from Inverness to Perth? Because that's, that is the party policy. That has been policy for decades now. Um, and, you know, as Rachel said, there's no... There isn't really any, there's not really anything behind it. There's no date. And I, I, I do think that is a slight risk that Hamza and this government are beginning to run, that what we're looking at is government by consultation, government by announcement, rather than government by outcome and results. Uh, he is at risk of um, being accused of that, I think.
I suppose these sort of deadlines aren't aren't super common in program for governments, though. So, uh, you know, we have they have previously said that it'll probably be the transport minister Fiona Hislop who will make that announcement, and I think that is expected by by the end of the month. So we might see some movement on it by before before September's out. Um, mm. So who knows? Yeah, that's interesting. It was it was Philip on our podcast who raised the issue of the A9 uh, directly to the First Minister. And he said, you know, he'd been the first on the scene at a road traffic accident and a man died in his arms as, as he looked after him and as he waited for the emergency services to arrive. Just as we finished recording and said goodbye to our contributors today, we got this email from Phil, who we've mentioned in regards to the A9. He says, good afternoon, gents. Thank you for delivering the podcast. Uh, you set the standard for incisive, non-partisan Scottish political commentary. Thank you. Uh, it goes on. On the live recording, I asked the First Minister when the promise to duel the A9 and A96 will be delivered. And he said, I will say more about the A9 during the programme for government. Watch this space in a couple of weeks' time. Yet, says Phil, programme for government has arrived and I heard nothing new. He stated his government will duel the A9. Does that mean within this parliament it will be complete? Because when asked for a date, he remained seated and silent, but was willing to stand and make an intervention in other matters. Phil, thank you for your email. Apologies, classic podcast vibes. Uh, We have talked about it. We're adding in your email so that everyone else can hear it as well. And we will return to this, I promise you. It's an issue that's important and it says a lot. And so this is something that is not going to go away. Thank you for being in touch. And so, Louise, okay, so that's interesting. So it's kind of a, something that might come back at some point in the future. What What is the reluctance to commit? Is it because this has been floating around for so long and there have been commitments for so long that actually it's it's impossible to put a timeline on it? I'm, I'm trying to understand, given, given how long the A9 dueling has been an issue. It does feel like it's been going on for a very, very long time as someone that's also been in, around in Scottish politics for a long time. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean... I suppose obviously part of the issue is just how far climate change now is up the agenda. That's that's been the biggest thing. And of course, with the Scottish Greens in government, they're they're not uh, pro road building. Um, so I guess it's a part of it is just trying to sort of balance balance that out with their with their coalition partners. Mm. Um, but I mean, the, the the main thing is that they've been talking about doing a study to make sure that it, they can still do this within their climate targets. And that's that's kind of the main main thing. But of course, as we've we've mentioned, that's caused a bit of uh, a bit of upset on the SNP backbenches. Fergus you in particular has obviously been been a vital voice about uh, uh, about this and uh, I was actually watching Mr Ewing on the backbenches whilst that announcement was made and uh, there was there was a little nod there a little okay. nod when uh, when it was acknowledged that the A9 had be jeweled so uh, Rachel just before we get into any more of the sort of policy announcements or re-announcements uh, just on that note has Hamza Yusuf done enough to calm down the slightly turbulent backbenchers that he's been dealing with over the last couple of months? Well, that's one thing that's going to be definite thorn in his side, isn't it? We've seen that from right from the get-go of Hamza Yusuf being in charge here, that there's just, there's just people in the background saying they're not happy, they want this, they want that, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. I'm unsure as to how much in the programme for government will be um, making that change because... I don't think there'll be that many backbenchers saying that he's not doing enough when it comes to things like poverty, for example, and the Scottish child payment. And that's very much what his 
Prerogative Government was focusing on. So I'm not sure that will change on the back of this. But moving forward, if there is a chance to, to tackle some of these issues that have been causing problems, that's maybe then we'll start to see a bit more of a turning of the tide. I'm just thinking back, um, deposit return scheme was something that um, has caused a lot of problems with, for backbenchers. That wasn't mentioned today, was it? No, it wasn't. There was no mention of deposit return scheme. Yeah. Good point. Very good point. But it's been very problematic for the government at this point, so perhaps they're just wanting to try and steer away from policies which have not been easy to implement, have been very complex and don't look to have a clear path of how to achieve them. I think he's tried to try and steer clear of those kinds of policies in this programme for government. I think one of the interesting things as well, Rachel mentioned there, that today's speech would please anti-poverty campaigners and so on, and I think, that, I think that's probably right. I think it definitely speaks to... Uh, that side of Hamza's agenda. But it was interesting. I mean, there wasn't a huge amount of trailing uh, of what was in today's speech because obviously he, he got in a bit of bother, or that I should say his predecessor got in a little bit of bother for doing too much trailing from programmes for government in the past. <laughs> but um, one of the trails that did take place, there was a big trail in the Times this morning about you know this being a pro-business speech um, and talking about being unashamedly anti-growth and so on. You know, if you look at it from that side, if you look at it from uh, from the kind of voice of business of people saying, do the SNP really understand the business sector and do we feel like it's a good place to do business and so on? I'm not entirely convinced that what he came up with today was really enough to satisfy that because there are just these two sides of what he's talking about, which he obviously doesn't think or doesn't want to be in competition with each other, but which in reality are because you have an influential coalition partner which is expressly anti-economic growth and a first minister who's saying that he's expressly and unashamedly pro-economic growth and you just can't square that circle something has to give in that um and you know you you can continue with rhetoric as you go along but when you're on the one hand, um, as we heard today, calling for some of Tom Hunter's recommendations for cuts in corporation tax, and then, you know, two minutes later in the same speech talking about putting income tax up, people are going to look at that and say, hold on, how's that the same vision from the same person in the same speech in the same platform? Because that doesn't add up for me. And I do think at some point, as I said before, something's got to give in that. Those two things compete with each other. They're not in coordination with each other. Mm. Uh, well, let's welcome to the podcast Lucy Dunn, journalist for The Spectator covering Scottish affairs. Hi, Lucy. Hi there, how are you? Hi, yeah, very well. I realise you've all legged out of the chamber to take part in the immediate reaction, so thank <laughs> you all very much. Um, Lucy, we've been discussing, I suppose, some of the headlines from this and, and, and the feel of this. Rachel and Louise kind of picking up on the idea that actually this was quite a personal speech, lots about childcare, lots of Hamza Yusuf's own family uh, personal experience. And Andy just talking there about business. Was this a pro-business programme for government? Um, what are your uh, thoughts immediately in the aftermath of this? Well, it was interesting. I think um, Hamza Yusuf said, you know, the, his, his programme for government is unashamedly anti-poverty and pro-growth. And immediately it made me think of Kate Forbes during the leadership contest, actually, and it kind of brought back some memories of what she was saying. Um, and I think there's, there's always been a lot of focus on whether or not Hamza Yusuf's government is going to be pro-business in the way that 
people want it to be, given that he is working very closely with the Greens. And there has been concern about the Greens, um, as Douglas Ross said in the Chamber today, basically not not wanting to um, help businesses grow and, and do better. Is this, Lucy, is this a speech whereby he is doing nothing particularly objectionable or offensive? Things like increasing pay uh, for childminders, uh, piloting um, the idea of childcare for nine months to the end of primary school, accelerating care expansion for two-year-olds, more support for those uh, who are suffering and experiencing miscarriage. I mean, none of these is, is, is awful at all. These are all great things. But do they fundamentally change the fabric of society, the direction of Scotland? Yeah, I mean, I think there's obviously a big focus on childcare and particularly well, women's health, but also prioritising women in, in the programme, which I think is definitely welcome. Um, I think probably what I would say is when we look at, you know, I think when he's talking about the NHS, I think he certainly embellished the, the state of affairs just now. Um, I think we know that the NHS in Scotland has not been doing particularly well and to act as though it has made come leaps and bounds, I think is it's just it's not, not correct at all. Um, I think there's obviously... Uh, good things that Hums has done in, over the past couple of months, particularly with um, making sure that, that healthcare workers aren't striking. Um, and it's good to see that he's going to up um, pay for social workers, uh, social care workers, sorry, um, to £12 an hour minimum. I think that's certainly welcome. Um, I would say, to be honest though, it, it's very lacking on detail, just generally. Um, and I'd, I would like to see a bit more substance to it. I felt that was particularly lacking today. Mm. Louise, do you agree with that, just on the on the substance point? Because, you know, there was a lot of, as we say, there's a lot of kind of nice stuff in there that is welcome and fine. <laughs> but what does it really do? <laughs> yeah, there's not really anything to, to hugely disagree with in, in, in the programme for government, is there? But I suppose the, the tricky parts of this are always come from how we're going to fund um, these sort of commitments. Um, and, and of course, that means we're talking about tax. I, I guess it's a case of, well, we'll have to wait for the budget in December to find out how all this is going to be paid for. Um, and, and, and in terms of, you know, where, where the burden of tax is going to go, are we going to see income tax rises or is it actually going to come out of business? We've heard before that um, he wants to reform small business rates. Um, but, you know, businesses, if he's wanting to reset that relationship with business, how much is he going to be able to lean into that, that sort of thing to pay for, pay for these policies? Mm. Um, Rachel, should we pick up on independence as well at this point? Doug, one of Douglas Ross's immediate criticisms was how quickly independence was mentioned in the programme for government, uh, beating things like the economy to get sort of top billing, I suppose, or certainly first mention. Is it a valid criticism, though, from Douglas Ross? I mean, to pick up on the SNP's determination for independence seems perhaps a little basic. That's actually just why they exist. As you were saying, yes, everyone knows that the SNP wants Scottish independence. That's hardly anything new at all. Um, you're right, he, he did um, start off uh, introducing um, the broad themes of his um, programme for government and then straight into independence talking and saying that um, they've always got one hand tied behind their back by Westminster, which did get a few sort of tuts and sighs from opposition benches. Um, I think because they're probably fed up of constantly having that argument thrown back at them from the SNP. Um, so perhaps not surprising that um, they've gone straight in with the independence um, topics. 
But I think, again, he has to be trying to appeal to his voters. We know that the SNP are losing support while support for independence is remaining the same. So they're not appealing to that core voter base that they used to be able to rely on. So perhaps this is an attempt to try and win back some of those independent supporters back onto their side. Um, particularly as they've got a general election coming up next year. And if those who support independence don't fancy the SNP's chances anymore, then that will be a big problem coming up for him. So that's maybe why we've seen such a big focus on independence so early on in this speech. It's trying to get back to those voters that you might be losing confidence in. Mm. I think that's a, that's a really important point. I mean, Rachel's hit the nail on the head there. Let's not forget we've got a by-election coming up next month and then a general election coming up in a year. And um, for Douglas Ross and for Hamza Youssef, independence is absolutely critical. It has to be on the table for both of those people. So obviously Douglas Ross would mention it at the start of his comments. Obviously would, Hamza would mention it at the start of his because both of their strategies are almost entirely based on it being a live issue. Um, Hamza needs independence to be seen by his supporters to be a live issue so that they're energised and so that he loses fewer of them to Labour because we know that some of them are already bleeding um, to Labour in the, uh, on the, in the belief that independence is getting further and further away. And of course, if Douglas Ross can't convince people that independence is very much on the table, then he risks losing massive proportions of votes, as the polls say that he's going to, to Labour as well, because the, you know, the, the key Tory attack line of vote for us to stop India F2 is not really valid anymore. So they need independence to be first, you know, front and centre. They both need it to be on the table. So I think you can expect Hamza um, and Douglas to talk about independence until somebody stops them, to be honest. <laughs> and good luck to whoever tries that, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, I just want to give you the yeah. list of bills that are going to be introduced by the government, just by way of a snapshot. There are 14 bills in the programme for government, but three of them also featured in plans unveiled by Nicola Sturgeon a year ago. So the three that also featured are education, uh, housing, and the Scottish aggregate tax. Uh, so they were introduced by Nicola Sturgeon. But here's the full list, including those three. Agriculture, budget, cladding remediation, education, electoral reform, gender representation on public boards, remedial action, housing, human rights, judicial factors, land reform, misogyny, the Scottish Aggregates Tax, Scottish Languages, and Social Security Brackets Amendment. Um, Lucy, one of the other thoughts around programme for government then is, to what extent is this a reset? And, you know, there are often jibes at most politicians, Rishi Sunak's susceptible to these as well. How many times can you keep resetting things before you're just back where you started? Was this a reset moment today? I don't think it was, to be honest. I think what's interesting is if you look back to when um, Nicola Sturgeon resigned and she, one of the reasons she cited for leaving was that she said after 16 years, people want change. And I mean, obviously it's interesting Humza Yusuf came in as a continuity candidate. I don't really think this is the, the sort of proper reset that that he could have put forward. I think he could have been bolder and I think he could have he could have pro almost committed to more. I feel like when you actually look through what he's said so far, there's a lot of groups being set up to discuss certain issues. Um, but I can't, you know, I can't really see um, much in the way, as I said before, you know, like going back mm. to sort of substance. I think it was Douglas Ross who brought up the, sort of the A9 duelling and said um, Hamza had essentially backtracked to a degree about the A96 and said he's, he's going to make improvements on it. I mean, promising improvements is... You're not really committing to much there, are you? It's he. It does feel as though he, he could have been bolder and he could have done made this more of his own thing. And I feel like he's fallen short there. Yeah, Louise. In terms of funding uh, these announcements, 
was Hamza Yusuf going into a programme for government with basically no money to spend? Uh, and the money that he wants to spend, where is it going to come from? Um, well, I mean, that will be his key argument, isn't it? He talks about um, having to, to govern with one hand tied behind his back. And what he's talking about there is is funding. He's, you know, he's constantly mentioning and ministers... Um, across the years are always mentioning that the the limited finances that um, comes them through the Scottish budget um, and they've only got sort of limited tax raising powers and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but to be fair, to, um, you know, the Scottish budget isn't isn't a small amount. There's still plenty of things you can do with that money. And, and we've seen them do it as well. You know, we've seen things like the Scottish child payment. We've seen other social security powers come in um, and, and, and various other policies of, of that ilk. So it's not that they can't afford it. It's just they obviously have to choose what they can and, and, and can't afford. So it's not that there's no money. It's just that, you know, with continuing commitments that they've already made, that money is already set set to go down a certain track. Mm, mm. So in order to, to free up money to make new policies, they'd have to cancel some old policies. Rachel, what is going to be the headline in the Scotsman's coverage of Programme for Government, do you think? Oh, well, that's soon to be decided. But I, would, <laughs> I would imagine there's probably a lot going to focus on the, the fact that it's very poverty-heavy focused. Um, I'd imagine that's going to be quite heavily analysed um, by uh, myself and the, my other colleagues at The Scotsman today. Louise, what's your favourite? What are you going to lead with? Uh, so I, I have already filed. I've gone on, on the childcare um, commitments just because those are sort of the big overarching ones. And, and, and as Rachel sort of said, it sort of lends itself to the, the anti-poverty angle. Uh, Lucy, in just in terms of what you think the your coverage is going to focus on, then what's going to be your take? How are you going to write this up? How are you going to lead? What are you going to lead on? Yeah, so I mean, from a personal point of view, I suppose I'm always interested in the, the health aspect. And as I said before, um, I, th I think it is a great thing to see that that Hamza has said that social care workers will get a sort of a bump up with their pay. Um, and, I, and I think my angle on that would be to ask for, for what, what more can be done and, and to speak more to, to doctors and clinicians I think when it comes to helping think radically about cutting these these waiting times and and I think what I would say is you know Hamza has been a little bit non-committal about the National Care Service and obviously it's been quite a controversial um, policy and it's the whole discussion has caused a lot of controversy. I think that I would certainly want to use my writing to urge him to talk in a bit more depth, uh, consult people, I think, about how best to help this bed blocking crisis. And I think maybe moving away from this sort of centralisation um, of, of healthcare, which I think, you know, might actually set us back further. So I think certainly the health angle is, is going to be a particular focus. Do you know, that's, the, that's, that's a really good example of why this is all quite interesting, though. I mean, as Lucy knows, I'm a uh, uh, have a, a family interest in the health service as well and it's a classic example though of um, things are so bad in the NHS and it's in such urgent need of reform and repair that it's actually a very difficult thing to talk about without upsetting people you know if you talk about what needs to be done to the NHS you risk upsetting massive groups of people in a variety of different ways. You might upset your coalition partners in the Greens. You might encourage 
um, people to, to move to Labour because of some of the things you see. You'll almost certainly upset the trade unions. So what, and, that, and that's true across a whole range of policy areas. So because of the way that things are at the moment, and only partly related to the coalition, and in part it's just related to the way that we do our politics, we don't make it easy for first ministers or any leaders to actually say anything radical. We make it quite difficult for them to say the things that need to be said because the consequences of them doing that can be really quite severe. So if you're an Asarwar, uh, pardon me, if you're Hamza Yusuf, and you feel like you can get away with playing both sides for a little longer, if you feel like you can get away with a bit more rhetoric and a bit less action for a little bit longer, then why wouldn't you? Yeah, I actually completely agree with you. I think that, and it's been said, you know, time and time again, that talking about reforming the health service in the, in the country is, it becomes, the, the language becomes very politicised. I think that's completely unhelpful. I think there's a lot of good points from across um, all, all the sort of political spectrum. You know, if you even look towards the Scottish Tories and their rights recovery bill, there's a lot of good points there. And I think it, it would actually... I mean, Hamza today, he's, he's urging parties to work with him. I think he could, you know, take some of his own advice and try and work with the Tories on, on that. We've just seen the drug deaths stats come out. We've seen the alcohol death stats come out. Um, and I think we, we do need to do more in those areas. So working together, you know, is it, surely only a good thing. This, this kind of stuff should, should come a bit higher um, over, over party politics. Louise Wilson, uh, political editor at Holyrood Magazine. Thank you. Rachel Amory, political correspondent at The Scotsman. Thank you as well. And Lucy Dunn, journalist for The Spectator, covering Scottish affairs. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us. Thanks. All right. See you later. Really Thanks, appreciate guys. it. Catch you soon, I hope. Cheers. Thank you so much. Hollywood Sources is proud to be brought to you by the Scotch Whiskey Association's Made to Be Measured campaign. Did you know that the recommended Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today weekly limit of 14 units of alcohol equates to five pints of beer at average strength or one and a half bottles of wine or 14 single measures of spirits. If you didn't know that, well, you're not alone, actually. The majority of people who choose to drink alcohol do not know how many units are contained in the most common drinks. Informed consumers, though, make more responsible choices And so the Made to be Measured campaign is supporting people across Scotland to understand more about the units in their glass. Made in Scotland and enjoyed around the world, Scotch whisky should always be enjoyed responsibly. Find out more by visiting scotch-whisky.org.uk forward slash made to be measured. 
It's great to have Lucy and Louise and Rachel all join us. They'd literally just legged it out of the chamber of uh, the Scottish Parliament to record an instant reaction to the programme for government. Um, Andy, let's just sort of consider a few of these themes then. So actually, just on the business front, just as we're talking, the Federation of Small Businesses has sent out their reaction. Um, It's Chair Andrew McRae saying the FSB had called for an unashamedly pro-growth, pro-small business statement says the First Minister was right to acknowledge his government, quote, can't deliver on any of its priorities unless we have a functioning, growing economy. He's highlighted the new £15 million package of measures to back entrepreneurs and hopes the support is meaningfully transformed to better fit their needs. Uh, Here's another quote. Any efforts to boost startups need to see some of the practical barriers to setting up and business removed. This includes childcare, so we welcome the announcement of much-needed additional support here. What do you make of that? Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose I've prepared a few of these responses for various different people <laughs> at various points in my life, uh, and I would say that is sort of relatively neutral-ish. Um, I don't think they'll be sitting there thinking, isn't that absolutely fantastic? Mm. But then, you know, I, I do think if we if we reflect um, on what Rachel, Louise and Lucy have said, that does seem to be the sort of instant reaction from them as political journalists as well, is that it was... You know, I guess relatively tame, uh, and I suppose, if anything, a continuation of the more social justice, um, you know, slightly leftist orientated programmes for government that we've been used to hearing in the Sturgeon era. You know, I, th- I do think that is interesting. We talk a lot about mm. um, continuity versus change, and really we have done since the leadership contest in February. And I, I, I don't think we can quite, you know, I don't think anybody has quite managed to make up their minds yet whether this is continuity sturgeon or whether this is change. And it seems to oscillate, I think, from one to the other, largely dependent on what the level of business rhetoric, the pro-business rhetoric, there is. That's interesting. Uh, Here's some more reaction. This is John Dickey, who's the director of the Child Poverty Action Group, saying the First Minister is right to prioritise childcare as key to tackling child poverty. We look forward to seeing the details. Today's announcements are welcome. He notes his disappointment at the lack of any further detail. That's interesting too, isn't it? That What you were saying there about the FSB, mm. I would say actually about that, it's quite neutral. There's a, there's a kind of like, well, yeah, we like that, but yeah. where's the detail? And this, this, you know, has tended to be a problem throughout devolution, is that leaders of, I suppose, all parties, and certainly first ministers of all parties, have kind of had this tendency to say things that nobody can particularly object to. You know, as I said at the start of the podcast, before our political journalist friends came on, who are the pro-poverty people? Yes, are exactly. People? exactly. I don't know any. You know, no. exactly. <laughs> so, uh, what does it? You know, and uh, if if you boil that down, what therefore does it actually mean? You know, mm. what does it mean? Um, and I, I think there are uh, there are some things in in there that will make a difference. You know, I think that I've got uh, uh, I've got young children, so I, you know, I think the the whole concept of free school meals is interesting. But the free school meals discussion has to be more than one line in the programme for government. You have to talk, for example, about whether it should be universal or not, um, whether that is too expensive or whether not making it universal increases stigma, for instance. But then you have to start talking about that in relation to obesity. And then you get into the NHS and you have to talk about it in relation to mental health. You then have to start saying things like, see these free bus passes we're giving out, does that help with that agenda? Does that not? These things are multi-layered. 
And I just think that we in this country don't often enough treat policy as being multi-layered. We treat it as something that you announce and then you move on to the next thing without actually assessing the impact of them. And I said, I mean, of course, we're not expecting that level of that level of detail in the program for government. But you know, as John Dickey said, even in a speech where it was so focused on poverty and so focused on children, the person from the third sector who arguably leads on that agenda is asking for more detail, and that will be a slight concern, I think, to the government. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I, I'm thinking back actually immediately to um, Brian Wilson, who was a Scottish minister uh, for the Labour Party. Oh, gosh, I forget the years, but years ago. And he picked up uh, around the time, I think it was in his West Highland Free Press column, around the time of the announcement of baby boxes for newborn babies in Scotland. He, he was making this exact point. He was like, this is great. Of course, let's do that. That's wonderful. But it doesn't address the fact that lots of those babies are being born into poverty. That doesn't change that fact. You know, the, well, we don't, don't disagree with giving newborn babies and their families this as a bit of a support, but it does not change the underlying issue that needs to be addressed and requires complexity and conversation and funding and all of these sorts of things. And, you know, that was several years ago, wasn't it, Baby Boxes? So that, it's interesting that we're still, that's yeah, yeah, still the same long, criticism oh. today. It's still the same, and you know, I, I would emphasise as I have many times before on this podcast, and, and Jeff has as well, without wishing to speak for him. Yeah. I think that we are both of the view that Hamza Youssef is capable of doing this job. He is capable of putting his stamp on this office, um, and being his own first minister, and creating the vision that we would all associate with Hamza Youssef. But I go back to the start. We, we looked at PFG, we looked at today as mm. being the opportunity for him to stamp his authority in this and tell us what he's all about. Do we know more about him now than we did this time yesterday? I don't think so. Mm. There you go. That's some immediate reaction to the programme for government. Yours is very welcome as well, especially over the next few days. Don't forget, you can email anytime. Hello at hollywoodsources.com is the email address to get in touch uh, because your own reaction as a business leader, as a citizen, as somebody who might be crying out for childcare, for example, um, get in touch with us. Hello at hollywoodsources.com. Uh, just in other news this week, just to very briefly touch on, the Rutherglen Glenn and Hamilton West by-election is going to take place on Thursday, the 5th of October. Uh, which is, well, in one month from now. And, uh, I mean, it feels in some ways like it's been the longest campaign on earth already. So <laughs> there will be a conclusion in four weeks' time. Yes. I, I don't know if I can comment after my controversial monologue last week about by-elections. <laughs> it was controversial. <laughs> a hot take, you might say. I shall, I shall reiterate in camera tones that for the next month, <laughs> this will be a very significant issue. And then it will happen. And then it will be a less significant issue after it To happens. be fair, there's think, a three-day grace period after the by-election, is what you said last week. Three days later, nobody three cares. Days, yes, nobody cares. <laughs> uh, uh, let, me, let me caveat that a little bit. I think, uh, uh, you know, if this was a stock market, a Labour win would already be priced in here, okay? Mm. Everybody presumes and expects that Labour are going to win. So let me slightly roll back on what I said last week by saying this. Here if Labour does win, if Labour does win, as people expect them to do, then I would 
stand by the comments I made last week. It's priced in, Labour will win, and then things move on. Mm. If the SNP win this by-election, if Hamza Youssef pulls a win out of the bag, and you know maybe the focus on uh, the social justice agenda at the expense of the business agenda this you know today had a little bit of focus on that by-election as well. Who knows? But if Hamza Youssef does win this by-election, that will be a, a unexpected boost and a bit of a problem a big problem actually for Anas Sarwar and that may have more of a long term impact than I had suggested that last week that by-elections do but without, I don't want to contradict myself too much so I will merely refer people back to the three by-elections that took place uh, a few weeks ago at Westminster, the two that Labour won and the one, the old Boris Johnson that the Tories have held on to are they changing the weather of UK politics now after that three day grace period no, I am afraid, my friends, they are not. Uh, just another uh, little story to mention as well. well. I mean, it's an important one. The SNP leader at Westminster, Stephen Flynn, reshuffling his front bench. Um, and the sort of takeaway from this is that it was to focus on the cost of living crisis. The Times writes this up as to focus on the cost of living crisis over independence before the next general election. And I, I guess we can see the sense in that, given that a Westminster election, you know, makes it does make more sense to fight it on cost of living, doesn't it? Yes, I, I thought that the um, interpretation of this being a, a shift away from independence is a slight overread into that particular reshuffle. I think what is more interesting as we move forward is just to observe whether or not what is being presented as, I suppose, a fracture between Hamza Youssef and Stephen mm. Flynn turns into something deeper than that. You know, just how uneasy is Stephen Flynn with the Hamza Yusuf agenda, particularly when it comes to business relationships, particularly when it comes to investment uh, in hydrocarbons for the purposes of, of renewables. Where is that relationship? So I'm looking at this in a slightly longer game. I think the identity of particular SNP spokesmen at Westminster is is kind of irrelevant to this debate, to be honest, not to be disparaging towards anybody in particular. But I do think it's interesting to analyse the uh, medium to longer term outlook for the Flynn-Yusuf relationship. Mm, very interesting. Uh, thanks, Andy. Really good to have you on. Uh, we miss Jeff, of course, but we, he'll be back with us next week on the podcast. Um, Andy McKeever, thank you. Uh, and thanks as well to Rachel and Louise and Lucy. Do keep in touch with us as we go through the week then. That is an instant reaction to the programme for government. Perhaps by this time next week we'll have a bit more detail, so we might return to some of these themes. And we, of course, would love your take as well. Hello at hollywoodsources.com is the email address to get in touch. Thank you very much for listening. Please make sure you follow and subscribe the podcast as well. Subscribe to the podcast. We're here every single week to analyse what's going on in Scottish politics. There's nowhere quite like it. Uh, We'll talk to you again soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.